Welcome to Ag Annex Talks, a podcast brought to you by the agriculture brands of Annex Business Media. Join the teams behind Top Crop Manager, Potatoes in Canada, Fruit and Vegetable, Manure Manager, and Canadian Poultry Magazines for compelling conversations with some of the most important voices in Canadian agriculture. Do you know a Canadian woman who's a leader in the field of agriculture? Do you have a family member, peer, or business associate who inspires others and advances the industry? If you do, we want to hear from you. The Annex Business Media Agriculture Publications are proud to present the Influential Women in Canadian Agriculture program now in its second year. Whether you know a woman who is a producer, an advocate, a researcher, or more, you can nominate her at agwomen.ca. That's A-G-W-O-M-E-N dot C-A. Six honorees will have their stories shared through podcasts, long-form stories, and a special digital event. Applications close Friday, March 26. Make sure you recognize an influential woman in Canadian agriculture today. Welcome to the new season of Ag Annex Talks. My name is Bree Rohde, Agriculture Editor at Annex Business Media. I'm so glad you've joined me for a new season of our podcast series. For this edition of Ag Annex Talks, we're focusing on the theme of future-proof farming. Why is that? Well, because the best growers, producers, and technicians are always forward-thinking. The world is changing at an unfathomable pace, and agriculture is rolling with all the punches. Over the coming weeks, we'll detail how professionals from all aspects of agriculture are dealing with some of the biggest changes in our world, from soil conditions and environmental concerns to automation and a rise in precision ag tech. Today's episode focuses on soil health. Soil is quite literally at the root of all agriculture, but we still learn more and more about it every year. As farmers have to deal with changing environmental factors, soil practices also differ wildly depending on geography, and in some cases, philosophy. We spoke with Martin Entz, a professor of cropping systems at the University of Manitoba. We were dealt the best soils in the world. Like how do we slow down that decline, that natural decline? And to a large extent we have, we've sort of bottomed out. We also spoke with Claudia Wagner-Riddle, a professor at the School of Environmental Sciences at the University of Guelph. We want to improve soil health, and you can only improve things that you can measure. We're looking at soil chemistry, soil physics, soil biology. And from a drainage perspective, we spoke with Brian Doherty, a field ag specialist at Iowa State University Extension. So we really need to be thinking, you know, 100 years into the future when we design these systems. That's just exceptionally difficult for humans to do for a variety of reasons. If you think about it, we have drainage systems that were installed in the late 1800s and they still function. Let's hear a little more about what they have to say, starting with Martin Entz. Welcome everyone, and we are here with Martin Entz, professor at University of Manitoba. Broadly, in North America, what are some of the biggest challenges in soil health that are facing a lot of producers right now? Well, you know, North America, especially the, you know, the northern half of North America, sort of from the, the Great Plains and up, uh, we're, we were dealt the best soils in the world. Um, these are very young soils. Uh, they're only about 10,000 years since the last glaciation. Ours are so healthy uh, because they're so young. And so age does matter. Um, and so we're dealing with one of the most ecologically intact uh, food baskets in the world, which is the, you know, the Great Plains of North America. 
So what happened here is that when uh, people, you know, plowed the grassland prairie or in Eastern uh, Canada, you know, took down the trees and turned the soil, um, you know, we, we lost a lot of our carbon right there. You know, that was, and so we saw, uh, you know, a 50, 60, 70, 80 year decline in our soil health, simply because we changed the ecosystem from a perennial grassland forest meadow system to one where we were growing crops every year. And, and you know, we, 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 we got rid of those perennials on a lot of the land. And so to come back to your question, Bree, one of the challenges we have is to reconcile that like how do we slow down that decline, that natural decline? And to a large extent, we have, we've sort of bottomed out. And then, you know, where do we want to go in terms of improving soil health? Uh, we, we will never go to pre-cultivation levels uh, because we're not in uh, a natural ecosystem. But we can take steps to, imp to improve the system because the soil is still functioning so well on so many levels that uh, there's great hope and great opportunity. So I would say for North America, our goal is to kind of understand what are the practices that would allow us to, you know, sort of to, to you know, we don't want to flatten the curve like COVID. We want to make the curve go up, right? We want to see more carbon in the soil. And, and how do we do that? That's really where we're at right now. You mentioned in your intro that you were uh, part of the no-till revolution in the 80s. From what I gather, a no-till approach is generally seen as better for soil health, but I know it's a little bit more nuanced than that. So what are some of the other important factors beyond just tillage that you would look at? Plant diversity. Um, if we had to pick which was the number one thing that would allow soil to improve, it would not be no-tillage, it would be plant diversity. But the, the thing that no-till did on the prairies, it allowed us to eliminate summer fallow. And so, you know, back in the 80s, even the wettest of the three prairie provinces, Manitoba, the second largest land use in Manitoba was summer fallow every year after wheat. Uh, we've eliminated that. And then what people used to do is just till their land all year to control weeds and to kill, to uh, conserve water. And no-till made that, you know, no-till really helped us uh, eliminate that. And that's why we added a lot of carbon into the soil through no-till is because we eliminated summer fallow. Um, so plant, you know, plant diversity is really how the soils developed their excellence to begin with. And, uh, and, and uh, there was a very nice study done in uh, the University of Guelph back in the 80s that sort of tested that question, you know, is it no-till or is it plant diversity? And it was, it was plant diversity and it still is. Now the two of them together, uh, they're, they're really quite powerful. We could also look at livestock integration and, um, and the, you know, there is a very good body of literature showing us that when we, when we let's say we grow cover crops, um, when we graze those cover crops, um, the, the grazing action uh, tugs on those plants and makes those root hairs drop off and that adds carbon into a nice, soupy mix of bacteria in the soil that immediately captures that carbon and puts it away for winter. So as we've moved to monoculture production systems, that, that really worries me um, <clears throat> because, um, you know, it's not keeping with a diverse plant community in the fields. So, so that's a question that people have been working on. What about the economic factors? Is this something that is tougher economically on, on farmers? Yeah. Um, 
Well, you know, there are, um, you know, as, as much as I painted us sort of a four crop country, we do have other crops in the rotation, but they are very site specific. We do have pulses, chickpeas, lentils in dryland areas of Saskatchewan. Um, you know, we, that diversify the rotation away from wheat and canola. Um, so, so some of those things are already economical and there are markets for those things. Um, but in terms of the, the on-farm economics, um, uh, you know, to circle all the way back to soil health, um, I think things that make soils healthier do pay off in the long term. So all those practices, you know, the no-till, the good crop rotation, uh, plant diversity, cover crops, livestock integration, those are going to make the soil more productive. So you get more input, you get more efficiency of your inputs, for example, because you can grow a higher yield per unit of whatever potassium fertilizer. So, so I think as long as um, we uh, focus on um, using our diversity to make the system more productive, then it, it, it stands a good chance of being economical. Martin Enns, thank you so much for being with us. So Martin Enns believes that when it comes to looking toward the future, diversity is key in terms of your on-farm practices for keeping your soil healthy and thus the ROI high on your yields. But how do we know what healthy soil is? Claudia Wagner-Riddle of the University of Guelph joins us to talk about why measurement can be an issue in Canada and what's being done to solve it. All right, we're now joined by Claudia Wagner-Riddle professor at the School of Environmental Sciences at the University of Guelph. So broadly, what are some of the biggest reasons that soil health is important for conservation? Well, soil is the base of all the food production. Uh, so everything that we're removing from the soil, uh, from the land um, is sort of at its, its main origin is uh, coming from the soil. It becomes really uh, crucial in like all the, the forecasts I've seen of how agriculture looks in the future. Um, sometimes that is totally forgotten because I mean, we can grow, uh, that's what we often do in greenhouses is to grow uh, crops from uh, like di directly from a nutrient solution without using soils. It, it is possible, but that cannot be done um, at a large enough scale where we completely uh, not use the landscape. So if we're using the landscape and managing the landscape, the sort of almost the starting point is the, so the soil health uh, while now we're, it's kind of an afterthought and maybe something that you think about in the end when it's not there anymore. Um, so because it takes so long to create soil from rocks, basically, right? That's uh, from, from rocks and organic matter. Uh, it, it is really a precious resource that we need to, to look after and, and not take for granted, which is, is often what we do uh, nowadays. Um, so now from, uh, from what I've read, that there's a bit of a lack of standardized, uh, standardized soil health framework uh, specific to Canada. Um, how big of a problem is that uh, for, your, for those of you in the scientific community? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it is, it is uh, an issue because 
our recommendations are to farmers are uh, or in general like for the agriculture industry it, it are that we want to improve soil health and you can only improve things that you can measure <laughs> and to measure you have to have a good indicator and right now there are um, a number of indicators and there isn't one that is sort of standard that fits all. Uh, and I mean, th this has to do with the, the very much like the, the sort of definition of soil health, which is um, we're lo looking at several parameters. We're looking at soil chemistry, soil physics, soil biology, um, so that we really like an indicator that goes across all these uh, areas. Um, and I mean, the definition of a, a healthy soil is one that functions kind of in the future and it's sustainable. Um, but anyway, so that's what, there's a big project going on in North America to uh, come up with the best indicators, but it, it's likely to be an indicator that um, bridges all those characteristics mm -hmm. so that you do a number of individual tests and then you get a score. Uh, so it, it is kind of a new effort and I think we will be getting closer in, in, a, in a few years. Um, but um, you know, my colleague, Martin Entz, who you, <laughs> who you interviewed, he, uh, he talks about like smelling the soil, you know, like I think if you talk to a farmer, they, they know by the touch and by how it looks and by how the crops grow, they know that if the soil is um, healthy, particularly if they're very experienced and very observant. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, what are some of the advances that have been made in that field with the big project uh, that is going on? Do you expect that to um, reach a point where you can really use a framework within the next few years? Yeah, I think that's the goal. So that's uh, the, 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 the Soil Health Institute has a North American um, initiative where several of our uh, researchers at the University of Guelph, as well as other universities are involved. And it involves uh, sampling long-term plots uh, to and, and testing these various indicators. So um, that, um, I, I'm actually not completely sure of the, the time frame, but it, it, it is, I think they're in their second or third year. So that this will be coming out uh, relatively soon. When you think about uh, whether the advances or the current research that's being done in the field of soil health, is there anything that just kind of keeps you up at night because it's uh, very exciting to you or gives you a lot of hope for the future of the field? Um, I think uh, what I find really exciting is looking at um, some of the innovative farmers and what they are doing. It, it's incredible. Like, innovative farmers, they are making it work on their farm for their soil and their climate and, and uh, their sort of uh, enterprise and so on. And uh, with the uh, Climate Smart Soils training program that I pr pr 
participate or I lead together with um, Martin is a, is one of the one of the collaborators there. We've had um, sort of graduate students and students meeting farmers from different parts of the country and having learning sort of what farmers are doing. And they're, it's incredible what they're doing all on their own, like by their curiosity, like nobody's paying them to do it. They're doing it because they're curious, because they're stewards of the land, because they want to improve um, not their bottom line, obviously, but also the environment. No, thank you so much, Claudia Wagner-Riddle. So now we have the perspective from inside the lab and in the field. But what about under the field? Brian Doherty of Iowa State University Extension knows that no one looks 100 years into the future quite like a drainage contractor. Let's get some insight into how subsurface drainage can play a role in keeping soil healthy in the long run. Brian, broadly speaking, what are some of the biggest connections between drainage and soil health? Yeah, so drainage and soil health really go hand in hand. Good drainage can improve soil health and good soil health can improve drainage. And, you know, to explain that connection, you know, really need to step back a little bit and look at, you know, what soil health is and what makes the soil healthy. So the foundation really and the what I call the building blocks of a healthy soil are soil aggregates. So aggregates are just little clumps of soil. They're basically glued together by biological activity in the soil. And the reason this is important is that without aggregation, you just have individual particles of sand, silt, and clay with very little pore space in between. And so when you have poor soil aggregation, the water will drain very slowly through that soil, you know, silt and clay soils in particular, due to that lack of space between the particles. And so a way to picture this, just imagine pouring some water through, you know, a very sandy or gravelly soil versus a soil that has a lot of silt and clay, that water will drain through the sand and gravel very quickly because of those large and interconnected pores, you know, between the particles. Whereas the silt and clay soils are what we'd say they're, we describe them as being very tight. You know, the pore spaces are small. And so that would basically just turn into a muddy mess and it won't drain unless you have unless those particles form into aggregates. And so you need aggregates with that large pore space in between to get the water to flow through. And so having a biologically active, healthy soil will improve that aggregation because aggregates are really only formed by biological activity. And so aggregation is really what improves the water flow through the soil. So now that you've explained how soil health improves uh, drainage, can we get a little bit of insight on how drainage improves soil health? Yeah, so the key to soil health is providing a good environment in the soil where that soil biology can thrive. And this is where drainage or subsurface drainage really comes into play. So there's some areas, you know, such as like the prairie pothole region in the Midwest or, you know, Northern Plains or what we'd call the Des Moines lobe here in Iowa where the water just doesn't naturally drain off the landscape. It's what we'd call a closed basin landscape. And these areas in particular, drainage can really benefit soil health. You know, the water table's naturally very close to the surface, so it really doesn't do much good to improve the, your infiltration through the soil if that water doesn't have anywhere to go. And so you need that subsurface drainage because without it, that entire soil profile quickly becomes saturated. 
And this is bad for soil health for a couple different reasons. One is that the soil becomes what we call anaerobic. There's no oxygen because the pore spaces are all filled up with water. And so it's just not a good environment for most soil organisms. So if you're suppressing that soil biology due to saturated soil, you're just not going to get good aggregate formation. And, you know, the second reason is that, you know, we still need to try to grow crops in these fields. And so if they're poorly drained, that excess moisture leads to a lot of compaction in the field. It also makes it very difficult to get your crops established and get cover crops planted. And so it's a lot to unpack, but, you know, in a nutshell, plants are what feed that soil biology. And so without the vegetation, if you can't get your cover crops in, you know, you just generally are going to have little biological activity in the soil and pretty poor soil health. So, you know, they, they really kind of go hand in hand. Um, and so how do we go about uh, specifically tackling, tackling the issues with water quality? Yeah, that's a great question. So there's kind of two different approaches to this. One is with what we call edge of field practices or downstream practices, things like bioreactors, saturated buffers or nitrate removal wetlands. There's also strategies for designing the drainage system with controlled drainage that can potentially reduce some of those nitrate losses. And this is great news for drainage contractors because we really got decades of work to do designing and installing these these practices. The second way to improve water quality is, is with infield management. So planting cover crops in particular can significantly reduce nitrate concentrations in that drainage water. And I also think we just kind of need to reimagine how we manage our cropping systems. You know, if we focus a little bit more on plant health and using some more organic forms of nitrogen in the soil and cutting back on some of those readily available nitrogen sources, you know, things like anhydrous ammonia, there's some potential there to reduce the amount of nitrate that's in the soil profile to begin with that's susceptible to leaching. So in, in my opinion, this is kind of the only realistic solution at a landscape scale. Yeah, and I mean, obviously, you alluded to this, economics are a concern, and um, one thing I'm wondering is, what are some of the ways that not just drainage, but also the land professionals who install drainage um, can play that positive role in conservation and soil health? A couple different things come to mind there. One, I would say, is just general outreach to educate the public about, you know, not only the benefits of drainage in general, but also that connection between drainage and soil health in particular. I think that's something the public could, could get behind and support. You know, there's kind of a common misconception amongst the public that subsurface drainage is just kind of bad for the environment, but I really don't think that's the case. You know, there's kind of a criticism. Some people think that it, it can make flooding worse, but if you look at the research behind that, you know, if you look at a larger areas, landscape scale, you know, 50 to 100 square miles, drainage really has a pretty minimal impact on flooding one way or another. Yeah, uh, outreach is obviously a huge part in many fields of agriculture. Improving outreach um, makes sense. Is there anything else you'd recommend? Yeah, another thing that I would kind of recommend here is just taking more of a long-term approach, you know, when we think about design and drainage systems. So we really need to be thinking, you know, 100 years into the future when we design these systems. And that's just exceptionally difficult for humans to do for a variety of reasons. But if you think about it, we have drainage systems that were installed in the late 1800s and they still function today. So there's no reason systems put in now couldn't still be working well into the 2100s. And so 
when we install these systems, you really need to be asking two questions. You know, one, is it sized properly? And can it be easily expanded later on to handle those future drainage loads? You know, it's really difficult to predict that far into the future, but you know, our climate trends right now suggest that we can expect more precipitation extremes, you know, more rainfall in general, and just generally more need for field drainage in the upper Midwest. So we want to make sure we're starting out with, you know, what we call a reasonable drainage coefficient for those future conditions. In your experience, um, you know, how is the relationship between uh, land improvement professionals and farmers um, and conservation groups, uh, as well as the scientific community, how is that relationship going? Um, is it ideal? Could it be improved? Is it getting better? You know, it's, it's interesting. I think it's actually getting better. You know, there's always room for improvement, but I used to farm myself for many years. And, you know, when I was farming, there, there really didn't seem to be much collaboration between these different groups. You know, sometimes you kind of viewed the other group as, you know, they were the enemy and they were against what you were trying to do. And so, you know, there's a lot of kind of contentious back and forth there. But in recent years, I've seen a lot more effort, you know, among researchers and conservation professionals to really, you know, reach out to contractors and farmers and just try to better understand what their land management challenges are and, you know, what they can do to help and how they can work together. You know, when I go to meetings now for soil health or, you know, watershed meetings, I see a lot more collaboration, a lot more diverse group of people at the table. And so, you know, there's just less blame being thrown around and much more of an understanding that we're all in this together. And, you know, the only way we're going to solve these difficult landscape scale problems is by working together and helping each other out. So I just encourage people to, you know, just be empathetic to each other's challenges and continue to work together we can make progress on soil health and water quality. Great. Brian, before we let you go, is there anything you wanted to plug at all for our listeners, any research or events or anything that you wanted to share? Um, yeah, they, people are welcome to check out the Iowa State University Extension website. There's lots of good resources there on, on water quality and drainage, different topics. So that's always a good resource for people to use. And I just uh, appreciate you uh, taking the time to have me on your podcast. Oh, no problem. Brian Doherty, thank you so much for speaking with us. Thanks again to Martin, Claudia, and Brian for your insights on keeping soils healthy in the future. Join us again in two weeks for more Future Proof Farming. I'm your host, Bree Rohde. Take it easy. Thanks for tuning in to Egg Annex Talks, the podcast hosted by the agriculture brands of Annex Business Media. You can subscribe to Egg Annex Talks wherever you listen to podcasts or visit eggannex.com to catch up on all of our other episodes.